1: Welcome to On the Continent, your one-stop shop for all things to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo.
2: I'm Andy Brassel.
1: And I'm Miguel Delaney. The focus is back on La Liga as Real Madrid make an audacious bid for PSG's Mbappe. But is it enough? And what are the unforetold consequences? Also, the Jose Mourinho roadshow is back on track in Italy's Serie A, as was written in The Stars. Who is the special one in his Roma team? And from the Champions League, a 2021 rerun of the 1988 European Cup final is a timely reminder of how far football has come. But first, to the uh, ongoing saga, it seems, uh, this week at least, of Kylian Mbappe Will he go or will he stay? He wants to go, but will he stay, Miguel Delaney?
3: Um, uh, this depends on who you talk to. Uh, from people who have worked with Mbappe, uh, I was actually surprised by this when the news broke of the bid on Tuesday night. But they are insistent that this will happen this summer. Um, and, 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 and I mean, even when I put, when I when I put it to them that this is surely Madrid posturing as Leonardo. So very kind of um, <laughs> conspicuously made made a point of saying that it's just Perez showing him what he wants him. They they do believe it, w- it will happen this August. But um, let's say, I suppose, much of that is dependent on the the, the I suppose greater level of commitment that Madrid show and whether they'll actually match what Paris Saint-Germain wants. Although, um, I mean, speaking from outside that, I do think it may, it may given it, it's certain that he's going to leave, probably for free, if, it, if there's no deal agreed, €160 million Euro feels like it, the, the sort of deal that Paris Saint-Germain should be taken up.
2: It felt like if there was one club in the world that could and would say no to that, yeah, it would be Paris Saint-Germain. Um, but things have changed from the fact that they realised that he really means it now. He's not just posturing, he does want to go. And if you're really wanting to... Men fences, you don't use the sort of language that Nasser Al-Khalafi used, the president of Paris Saint-Germain, um, on the day that um, they announced they was signing Messi, where he said, look, killian has got everything he wants now. He said for us to build a team around him, and we've done it. Now, whether we want to take a critical eyes <laughs> out and go, well, you know, maybe you haven't got too many t- players impressing press in that. It's interesting the the sense that's coming out of Paris that Messi arriving in Paris has made Mbappe want to stay less. Yeah, yeah. Because it knocks him down in terms of hierarchy. It can't help but do that because this had become his name, his team. I mean, he was happy to leave Neymar as the name above the door. But realistically, yeah, he knew it was his team. And he knew it was his team from the moment when... That They um, brought Neymar back from his extended injury break in um, the the start of the 2018-19 season. It was meant to be Neymar's night at the Parc de France. He did that wave to the fans and all the rest of it. Kylian Mbappe, not even playing, comes onto the pitch in his civvies. What's this in the pocket of my leather jacket? (laughs) Oh, it's the World Cup. Of course. (laughs) And, you know, when you've got a guy who's like a, a hometown hero and, you know, doesn't need to show off to, to, to say that he's he's going to be the best player in the world. That was a changing of the balance of things at Paris Saint-Germain. And now it's changed a little bit. It's, it's got to be the messy show. So um, I think there, there are a lot of reasons why Mbappe should go next summer. One, because if he's free... There's more money for him. Mm. There's no doubt about that. Also, it gives Real Madrid an extra year to construct a good team around him. And it gives them the money to construct more of a team around him. And we know they haven't got a bottomless pit at the moment. And he gets to play with Messi and Neymar for a year. On the other hand, that's what Real Madrid are a little bit worried about. You may think this makes no financial sense for them to do it now. But I don't think it's about opening up the field to competition. You know, the thought that maybe a Liverpool swoops in or anything like that. I don't think they're particularly worried about that. The thing they would be worried about is Paris. What if he really enjoys playing with Messi and Neymar?
3: Well, also, I think there's another side to that as well. I mean, you know, one of the reasons people say Madrid have no money now is because of this stadium. And, you know, by, by all accounts, it's drastically over budget. Hmm. But there's also a flip side to that in that now throughout the kind of the Galactico model under Perez has always been that basically these signings pay for themselves because of the amount of commercial buzz around them and what they do for the profile of the team. And I think that's a stretch for a lot of their signings. But in the case of Mbappe and particularly at this point in history where La Liga has no stars and Madrid basically have no stars apart from Hazard waddling around at this point. um, <laughs> I <laughs> uh, I think it's especially true for Mbappe. And I, I I mean what what strikes me here is that Madrid have the they, they suddenly have this they've refurbished the stadium but at the moment no real stars to to make to fill it to mm. attract people. Whereas they sign Mbappe now, it just changes the whole feel around the club uh, and kind of restores that buzz, makes Madrid a real kind of an elite destination again. Um and, and I, th- I think it's why, actually, it, it makes financial financial sense. For, and especially if, I mean, given the the financial history of these things where basically uh, there are a few banks that will say no to Ma- Madrid or to P- to Perez in Spain. But for this one, it feels like opening a credit line for this feels actually there's a logic to it because it is a signing that has a kind of a multiplying effect uh, f- for the club as a whole,
2: and he's only twenty-two. Yeah, which exactly. I, I think exactly. Makes, uh, you're talking about getting ten years of Mbappe. Yeah, which is which is massively different like, to like, buying like no, Hazard, yeah, yeah, isn't
3: yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: You see what you're both saying. You're you're both essentially saying that he's more likely to leave in this summer window than not.
2: Yeah, I think it's yeah. cha- and I think it's changed. Doton. I think it's changed even in in, in recent weeks because um, what Paris have become aware of is is not just posturing, that he really has set his mind on yeah. going. And he's... I think the hierarchy at Paris Saint-Germain are not used to people saying no to them. And they're not used to being in a position where they're forced to do stuff. Yeah. When we went back a little bit and talked about Real Madrid bidding for him, and we talked about it on here and said, there is no amount of money that Real Madrid could offer that would make it worth them selling Kylian Mbappe this summer. What changes that is Mbappe not leaving the door open, is him saying, whatever you do, I am going to go at the end of this season. And all of a sudden, you're looking at, they're in in an okay place as as far as financial fair play goes, because obviously, um, losses are only taken at 50%. All losses incurred during the pandemic uh, are not attached to your figures at the moment. So they're in a good place as far as, as, as FFP goes. But if someone offers you, like say 200 million, I, I reckon for it to happen, it will need to get near 200 million euros. So,
1: you, oh, euros. Okay.
2: That's, that's, well, it's nearly 200 million pounds <laughs> these days, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think, because remember, they've got to give 35 million of that to Monaco as as well. If they extend him or sell him, that, that's what they've got to do. And that's why Leonardo was talking about, you know, us making a loss on, you know, we would still owe Monaco money. Mm. He doesn't mean from the original fee. He means in terms of the 35 million sell-on. Um, I, I think... Even for PSG, there comes a point where you think, actually, we could, we could do something with that money. You know that, that that is a not insubstantial amount of money for anyone out there.
3: They could buy some defensive midfielders or players who will press. Well,
2: they could, but they won't.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But it it is
1: good to have uh, somebody as elegant, always elegant and suave as Leonardo uh, to face the press at a time like this. I thought he did it very, very smoothly when he said, look, obviously Killian wants to go. Uh, We don't want him to go. But okay, he's going to go, but it's going to be on our terms.
2: But you're right. It was, you're right, Don. It was Leonardo as a player, because it was the mix of elegance and brutality, <laughs> the, the way he talked about Real Madrid. But, I do remember him kicking somebody off the pitch. Tab Ramos. The Tab Ramos. Tab Ramos in his yeah. poor face. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but I, I think the thing is to, to, to know with Leonardo is if someone was going to come out with hard words on this, it was always going to be him
3: because... The enforcer. Uh,
2: yeah, because, <laughs> that's because that's him, yeah. but also because the Mbappe situation left him kind of fighting for his job yeah, because he was left in charge. of If Mbappe goes, it's down to him, basically. He shouldn't have let it get to this point. Now, we go back to Spring and Al-Khalafi says, right, okay, I'm going to take over the negotiations for this because you're not getting it done in terms of the contract extension. I mean, to get put in your place like a little boy by the president for that is quite damning. Hmm. So whereas like, the supporters of Leonardo have been saying, well, he's had possibly the, the greatest transfer summer window ever, getting um, Donnarumma um, without paying a fee, Messi. getting Elden without <laughs> paying a fee, getting Messi without paying a fee, getting Ashraf Hakimi all that sort of stuff. How does that stack up oh, oh, if, he, oh, oh. if he loses Mbappe? Oh, oh,
3: also, I mean, for all people who go on about these, like, so when from what I'm told, they basically got him because they they offered three times more than what Barcelona went to offer him. That and 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 this in a COVID-enforced market. And 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 let's not forget the kind of the wider context here, which is basically as Andy's already kind of uh, referred to Paris Saint Germain's owners, who <laughs> basically the state of Qatar, which yeah. gives them like I mean, there's no strategy to that. It's basically just we have a lot of money now when most of most of football doesn't I mean 99% of football doesn't and that's but, why it's
2: so funny isn't it like real madrid and paris saint-germain coming up face to face like this because yeah. paris saint-germain are a galacticos unit as well yeah or yeah galactique it's 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 the, it's the same thing isn't it because it, it is about the stars ahead of the plan because if you sign messi whether you think he's the greatest footballer of all time or or not and of course there's a hugely convincing argument that he is signing him at this point, is is not a team builder. Yeah, it's it's, it's something else.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it seems the, like it's turned out that way, sir. There's also just in reference to the two clubs going up against each other. There's a very strange dynamic with this, which I, I could never have imagined myself saying about like even six months ago. Where suddenly it's almost bizarrely that little bit better for football that Real Madrid sign a megastar because it means more of the best talent is spread around. Because uh, I I do think it's it's, it's bad football, because uh, uh, there is a trend for this now, you, you feel, and it feels like COVID has, has exacerbated this, where there's potentially only five clubs, or five or six clubs, hmm. at the very top capable of competing. And the Spanish, because of the economics, as we've seen with Barcelona, are being left behind. And uh, the flip side to that is, it, suddenly, it, may, it may suddenly mean that Madrid have an advantage again in Spain, just to the point where it seemed like we might have a properly diverse league and like the potential for someone like Sevilla to win. Um, but again, these these are all trickle-down faults and our problem is in that regard.
1: In, in that respect, actually, it brings me on onto, onto the other point. If Mbappe goes to Real Madrid, there will be unforetold consequences all the way down the food chain. Uh, you've mentioned one, which is you know the sort of existential situation of the uh, Spanish La Liga, but also in terms of football, signings um, Mbappe goes to Real Madrid big question Mark where does Cristiano Ronaldo fit into all of this
3: well I mean that, that's exactly what George Mendez is trying to figure out at the moment isn't it at, at, at the time we record uh, from what I'm told Ronaldo's desperate um, he, he, I think there's been a lot of reporting from, uh, from Italy and from, from England as well where it's, it, the preference is basically an English team in the Champions League um, Manchester United um, they don't really have a space at the moment and possibly not not the budget given given how, how much they've spent and the size of their wage bill as they can sell um, Liverpool's not going to happen Chelsea have signed Lukaku which basically leaves Manchester City uh, oh. and oh, I, my it, word. I mean from, from everyone you talk to people are saying at, at the very least it's possible I mean it could be complicated especially with the nature of Ronaldo's contract and so many commercial connections and all the rest of it, but it at least it seems like there's some possibility this could happen uh, by by Tuesday. Um, and as obvious, I mean, we were—I suppose we've already discussed this a little bit off air. But as, as obvious as this might seem from so many parties, right down to the fact Manchester City need a goal scorer, I think this has a recipe for a lot of complications.
2: You know what? I, I've already said on the ramble. I, I like it. I, I I think there's a lot to to recommend it, particularly short term. And when Miguel was talking about Ronaldo's desperation to leave, and he's been keen to leave for for a while, that really suits Juventus as well. Yeah, because they they want to crawl out from under the rock but- of of his his yearly wage. They are in need of a rebuild. They can't do anything with him on the books, and they're in this sort of Holding pattern really for the next year. If they can get a deal that gets all his wages mm. off the books, that that is that is fantastic. But, but isn't this
3: why it's potentially problematic for City as well going forward? I mean, for, I mean, Ronaldo's almost a contradiction at this point. As, as brilliant as he still is as a goal scorer, he doesn't actually fit into one with modern football. It's, it, it's mm. been the issue with Juventus for two, where they've tried to kind of introduce a new style, and yet with that style, they're eventually they're essentially playing with ten men, and you couldn't have. Uh, you know a greater proponent of this style I mean he's basically responsible for its spread throughout the game as Pep Guardiola mm. so while City need a goal scorer and specifically you think someone to finish off so many of those six yard cutbacks that have basically become the Guardiola speciality Guardiola's number nine is also someone who presses and I mean that was the source of so much tension with, with Sergio Aguero exactly And, and I mean yeah. is he, is Ronaldo going to do
2: that no he's, he's not going to do that but I think you go in with your eyes open and realise what you're getting you're yeah. getting a very very good short term fix you're getting the penalty box player that they don't have anywhere else and you know there's a possibility that you take him for a year you take him for two years and you can still go after Holland next summer. Yeah, yeah, that's I, true. Which I think is is quite a, a seductive way of looking at things. Yeah. I, certainly for the sort of player he is, committed to the penalty box. If I'm City, as I said on the Ramble, I, I, I prefer taking him to taking yeah. Kane, a, a player who eats Kevin De Bruyne's space. So uh, I'm Harry Kane, sitting at home listening to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I hope so.
1: <laughs> well, well, Yeah. It and, is what it is. And is, it, is it? I'm <laughs> listening to both of you two and I'm thinking to myself, oh, hang on a second, I'm not going to do the voice. I can't, anyway. Hang on a second, what about me? Where do I fit into all of this? You remember what I said about unfortoed yeah. consequences?
3: Well, I mean, this is the thing about Kane as well. And I think explain some of his desperation of not necessarily cities, I mean, where you'd wonder about the kind of the exact urge to sign him. Because this summer... The striker market is extremely small. Next summer, it's suddenly it's potentially explode, especially if Mapa doesn't go to Madrid now. Mm. Uh, and you've got Holland, and, and from from what from what we've heard about Haaland, it seems like Raiola has convinced about five or six clubs that yeah, we're the number one choice, uh, which which could create a few difficulties next summer. But but suddenly Kane <laughs> is maybe at twenty nine is third or fourth four choice on on the list, and it's that bit more difficult for him. And you could even argue it's why for his own future. He needs a twenty-five goal season more than ever to convince to show people. Look, I'm t- I'm twenty-nine, I'm I'm still worth going in for in in this market. Given like the comp- the main competition is two players in into early twenties who represent the future of the game. but, yeah, but one thing on Ronaldo, and just just this, this this does touch on something which can, again concerns me about the way European football is going, in that we're almost seeing a super league without a super league. I mean, we we can't have too many illusions about the sentimentality of all this, but ultimately. Ronaldo's a Manchester United legend with, you know, one of their few Ballon d'Or winners, one of their few Champions League winners, core to the mythology of the club. And I think in a normal, even the, the European market of 10, 15 years ago, I don't think he would have considered Manchester City because United would have been enough of a kind of a factor that he would look elsewhere but if you but because of the way the game has gone now, it have, this happened with Messi. It's 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 apparently true with Antonio Conte as well, and his potential options. Where if you want to stay at the top and win a Champions League and win the top trophies, there are only about four or five clubs you can go to. So because of that, he suddenly you know he's funneled into Manchester City, and it kind of does. It, it just makes me feel in terms of the way European football is going is that it is almost football as content, and like, like there's no there's no chance to build emotional connections, especially if it means nothing because. Players, players, pretty much have to go to your rivals.
2: Maybe, but I would say part of that, especially with Messi and Ronaldo, is an understanding. And Ronaldo's been in this position for a while. I think an understanding of his footballing mortality. I think he realizes that you know he was meant to be the cherry on the cake that mm. that took Juventus over the top to the Champions League through no fault of anything he's done. They are further away from yeah, it yeah, yeah. than than ever before. How many more chances have you got? So I, I think he just has to seize that opportunity. Like his mum wants him to go back to Sporting, but he's not going to win the Champions League <laughs> there, is he? Yeah. Which which
3: is an absolutely huge but, deal. But, but isn't it remarkable in that regard that like, I mean, the fact we we I mean. We'd even talk about, say, Arsenal and Milan, two two clubs who have been in the Champions League final in the last fifteen years, one mm. of them having won it, and yet they would be seen as almost out there romantic choices. And these are these are huge <laughs> yes. clubs.
1: Yes, <laughs> always on, on the continent. We welcome any questions that you have as well. You can tweet us all at Miguel Delaney, at Andy Brassel, at Dotson Arriba, or at Football Ramble. And here's a question from uh, Craig Craig Bruce, who says, "How in the world?" Can Real Madrid afford to offer 160 million euros for Mbappe? Is the whole thing one giant bluff before
2: getting him for nothing next year? I don't think it's a bluff, mm. but I think whether it comes off or not, it is a good way of saying and I that they do aim for it to come off. It's a great way of saying we're prepared to go all the way for you. Yeah. You're I, our future.
3: I, I think, I mean, first of all, you have to accept that Everyone will always will obviously point to what Perez said, tried the super league that it doesn't it doesn't happen. We're finished. That was obviously bullshit, and it was just uh, <laughs> it was essentially like him, you know, his his own attempt to sell it all. Um, <laughs> but I I think they can make the finances work just purely because Mbappe and they, there's only the few players this applies to. It's one of those self-perpetuating transfers and it who one of those who genuinely does pay for itself because he what he what he represents to the future of Madrid. It's almost like Figo in 2000 again. Voilà puis c'était bien joué avec Giroud c'est
1: Oh Silva il l'a vu Kylian Mbappé tu l'as Mbappé, il l'a vu ça fait quatre et ça fait peut-être un quart de finale pour l'équipe de France 68e minute Let's turn our attentions now to Serie A, ah, and, and there is one obvious highlight there at the beginning of this season. Who is Jose Mourinho? Jose Mourinho, etc. Uh, have they learned to sing that
3: yet? In I his, thought
2: you were going to do the other Jose Mourinho song no, for a minute. No, I, was, no, I don't, no, don't, don't, don't no. do that. Don't do I, that. I, I wasn't brought up that way, but thank you for <laughs>
3: the offer. I, I, well, when I was on the the Spanish the Madrid Metro for the 2010 Champions League final, the one the Inter fans were singing was. The tune of, um, what's the fuck? Yeah, I, I love you, baby. That was oh, yeah. Jose Marini, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice.
1: So, <laughs> That's not a bad one, actually. <laughs> nice twist on it. Whichever way they're going to do it, they'll be in fine song at the moment, Andy, because it, well, he kicked off
2: his Serie A tenure with the bang against Fiorentina. It was so entertaining as well. What I found remarkable about that is we spoke about it with Nicky last week the idea that the the, the Italian. Football landscape felt that it was receiving 2010 Mourinho, Jeez. <laughs> the level yeah. of excitement.
3: But, but ev- everyone didn't... seduces themselves into that, though. <laughs> yeah. <Which they> like... <laughs>
2: yeah, it can happen. It yeah, can yeah. happen. But th- there was there was a feeling that they were receiving a very different Mourinho to the one that Spurs were sending away. But quite an, a tempestuous preseason, as we talked about beforehand, and then with fans back in the Stadio Olimpico. New centre forward, Tammy Abraham, who had an absolutely massive influence. Brilliant, he was good. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it was great to watch. They were really great to watch. And I came away with that, that the feeling that Roma are going to be good to watch this season. I mean, isn't that a remarkable thing to think about a, a Mourinho side? Already two of his signings making a, a huge impact. When you look at um, Abraham, as we said, he was replaced by Eldor Shomorodov who, the um, Uzbek, who's come from Genoa, came on. He created the, the third goal for Jordan Veritu after um, Abraham set up the first two. Uh, Nicola Tzaniolo, who I believe we've got a, a, a question about, he's he's back and fit and um, a little bit too keen. <laughs> and then the first goal to start it all off was Henrik Mkhitaryan, who was the source yeah. of so much tension at, at Manchester United. I came away from that and thinking... Well, Roma ain't going to win the league in a million years. Top four, I'm still not convinced. I I think that would be, given what Roma have been through over the last few years, I don't want to go back to his famous quote about Manchester United finishing second being the same as a trophy. (laughs) I honestly think if, if Roma were to make top four this season, that would be a more than acceptable result for Mourinho. But if they made top four and had some fun along the way, that would be an absolute revelation, I think.
3: It's always like this though. I I mean, (laughs) genuinely, there's always the honeymoon period. Um, He's like United in 2016-17 is the same Spurs, Spurs going top. Spurs. I, 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 I was there <laughs> yeah. at his first game with Spurs where they beat West Ham. I think it was a four two. Deli Alley was unbelievable that day. Had that little flick behind and said, "Wow, this is so open." It's always the same. And and this was of course after his basically his year sabbatical after Manchester United. where he talked about how oh I've been so you know I've been updating my methods and all this. And we saw a reversion <laughs> to the same thing. So I, I'm not I'm not going to buy it. But what what I am interested in Mourinho more so. And I I do think there is. I absolutely would bet against Roma finishing top four. His, I think, his methods can still be effective to a to a very certain degree. But I am fascinated by is how his his football principles fit into this particular serie, a, especially as a yes, uh,
2: It's changed a lot in ten years. Yeah, exa- yeah. exactly,
3: exactly, yeah. Um, and the uh, and the kind of the little tension or not tensions, but. The kind of the tactical clashes that develop through that, and what what is a much more, um, I suppose much more open Syria in terms of kind of the way the game that we could see the Italian national team in the in the Euros being the kind of the ultimate example of that, almost almost a distillation of what Syria is becoming.
1: Interesting, um, because I, 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 I tend to agree with you about Jose Mourinho, by the way, that he will revert uh, to type. But Serie A, you would have thought this season would have had that Euros as something of a springboard. But it, there's still a question mark over it. Why is, well, that, do,
3: is do, it? I mean, for, for, from, anyone, from anyone you talk to in kind of like in coaching circles or player development, and I wrote a piece in this during the Euros, like, Serie A is maybe the, it's the next place where the next grace. The next great football leap will happen. Where so, like in 2010, it was, or sorry, in, in 2008, 2009, it was Spain, particularly the national team, and Guardiola's pressing. And then it was uh, five years on from that, it was basically German interpretation of pressing, and that's pretty much what dominates the game now. Yeah, what what like a lot of people in the game basically point to Italy as the next maybe great leap, and it's going to be about how players are no longer coached to specific positions anymore. It's and I, I mean. You could say, to a degree, Spinazzola typified that at, at, at the Euros, and it's a it's a pity he's out for so long.
2: A real shame. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And it's 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 interesting if we if we are going to see this kind of new spin on universality and if it, the way Italy develops in that way, how Mourinho, who does have have such a kind of fixed approach, um, adapts it. And who who knows? Maybe it's one of those, it could be one of those things as well where his football is so distinctive now that it actually has. Kind of, and it can be effective in its own way.
2: It's an interesting idea, isn't it? That mm. idea of players taking responsibility and just stepping out of that framework yeah. and, and, and doing what, what they can do. I, I feel that's quite a big part of um, Italy under Mancini, actually, because it, I, I don't know about you, but going through Mancini's coaching career and clearly his desire for the job is something, as, as we mm. talked about before, that, that is something that has made his spell at Italy, totally. Um, because, you know, he would have walked over hot coals back from St. Petersburg to to take that job. And, um, you know, you can feel his, his implication in it. But there is the sense that he gives players that platform to express themselves. Now, the idea that maybe Mourinho is a, a little bit more hands-off, it's quite interesting. I mean, there were so many bits in that, not just... Abraham, who was having an amazing time. Mm. You know, he got um, Drongovsky, the goalkeeper, sent off as well um, by dribbling round him. You know, he was involved in everything in the hour that he was I on. thought
1: he played better uh, for Roma. I know it's only the opening game. Nevertheless, so I think well, he played better for Roma than I'd seen him play for Chelsea. He
2: felt a bit freer, didn't he? Yeah, he was bullying everybody all over the place. He looked un- unmanageable for a defender. And there, there was this headline in the Gazzetta della Sport the following day, and it said, it's already Abraham's Roma. Oh, well. And that that must have, that must have been a wonderful feeling for him. Mm. But the thing that really struck me actually just before that, I think before he got Jon sent off, I think it was um, it was a, a long crossfield pass where I think it would have been Pellegrini. It didn't quite hit it right, and Rick Karsdorp, who came over from Fiorent with a reputation of someone who could build into becoming mm. a really good fullback, who who could be that kind of opposite player to um, Spinatola on the on, on the other side he shouldn't have been able to get the pass. And, um, you know, he's been through some terrible injuries, cast off and he's got himself in a good place. Now he just stretched out this like inspector gadget leg and like kept it in. You thought, Oh my God, they're keen. They're keen. <laughs> and you know, you, you, look at Saniolo. Actually, we've got a question about Saniolo here from, um, Marco Seria on Twitter. How good is Saniolo? Is he in the De Rossi role after that red card? <laughs> um, well, like I said, he's he's come back from two cruciate knee ligament injuries almost successively. Um, it, he's put on a bit of muscle. I get the impression he can do more in He wants to. Uh, Mourinho wants him to do more in central areas, maybe. But it's, it's it's clear that he was someone who was just so psyched for it. I mean, I thought the second yellow card was super soft, and he was he was, he was really unlucky. But that sense that he wanted to be involved, maybe took him a little bit over the, the line. But he, again, is a player given a bit of license who can take your team onto the next level. And there, t- there tend to be, I think, quite a lot of those sort of players in Mourinho's team. Like the idea, like Shomarodov is a, yeah. is, 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 a, is another one. Abraham, we talked about that sense of freedom. If they can retain that, you know, if you can have a traditional Mourinho structure, but he was to... Give a bit more responsibility to the players and say you interpret it for me. Hmm. He's got the sort of players who can really do that, so I, I think that could maybe make a difference for them. I'm being optimistic for the moment, obviously, but I, I think it's it's a noted difference from some of the other squads. He's coming. I mean, Mkhitaryan's one of those. Yeah, players. yeah,
3: yeah. Just in relation to Abram as well. Only the other day I was talking somewhere around Chelsea. Basically, they they feel he was basically unfortunate in that. Tuchel Just basically didn't fancy him mm. because I think that the, the move from pretty much everyone around Chelsea is okay. He's not Lukaku level, obviously. He's not. He's maybe not quite an elite forward, mm. but in a team like that, he could. If he got a regular run at Chelsea, he'd get twenty goals, um,
1: which
2: is not to be sniffed
3: at. Yeah, absolutely, it? yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I think it's fascinating hearing how the philosophy of Mancini during the Euros could still influence uh, Serie A and also where Josie Mourinho or anybody else who doesn't quite fit into that where how, how their their season uh, will pan out. Um the interesting thing about just going back to the Euros, the interesting thing or one of the interesting things about the Italy team is that they were almost or mostly home-based players. Mm. So mm. it has to have an effect, doesn't it, on the way that Serie Well, say, well we are... I
3: think isn't that I think that's why maybe Mancini rather than influencing Serie A, it was more an end product of or sorry, a product of of which way Serie A has been heading yeah. and what you can do with the and I mean cuz I suppose what well, since about 2012 2014 Italy has basically completely changed its its production methods to essentially um so it's its main product is these kind of you know technically adept midfielders in a way that they were kind of they had been missing and why they fell behind uh, in the in the 2000s
2: and it's interesting because whereas the push for that in Germany the push for changing the type of player you produce came from the shortfall of the national team yeah in Italy it's not that at all because they won the 2006 yeah, World yeah. Cup it's, it's post Calciopoli and how that financially affected the league and how that affected the prestige of the league the league had to reinvent itself because there was a bit of a talent drain. yeah yeah and something had to come in to fill the gap and the football had to change I think to to make Serie A popular it, uh, all over the world again and there's
3: a really interesting thing there and that in Germany of. From they're they're actually right now undergoing a kind of um, not quite an overhaul, but they're studying what they can do because they feel the players are producing slip behind a little bit in terms of what to do. In Spain, there's a similar debate that Luis Mm. Enrique has been so on where where I mean I think in Spain it's actually it's not so much the the production of players who are still like there's still an immense production line. It's more kind of the style the teams play and this kind of this passive possession. But there's a discussion there. Whereas Italy, okay, they're producing these technically adept kind of. Almost universalists, but there is something a bit more, they've got more of an edge, more of a kind of, I suppose, Mm. there's a greater intensity about them, it feels. And again, which points to this being a next step of player potentially.
2: (laughs) Nulla potuto Buffon, nono gol in campionato, 224 gol, Nord ha lato un passo il capitano,
0: braccia al cielo, tutti i giocatori su di lui. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare insurance plans at uh1.com.
1: Remember, 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 remember. Andy, why are you smiling? I'm just trying to think of how many of the fans watching um, PSV versus Benfica must have been thinking, remember 1988 and what was then known as the European Cup final, uh, where it ended on a penalty shootout that never seemed to end. So there are echoes of that when PSV and uh Benfica meet again in this year's Champions League in the early stages.
2: It is, it's extraordinary, isn't it, when you think of how much European football's changed. When you have these two mega clubs, certainly historically, um, who both have good teams at the moment, I, I would say, fighting for just a place in the yeah. group stage. It is it, something's changed. I mean, to, to, to summarize the game it, or, or, the, or the tie, it was. It was a really good tie, Mm. I thought, between two really good teams. Benfica won the first leg 2-1 in Lisbon last week. They were a little bit fortunate too. Um, Odiseos Flacodimos, their goalkeeper, who they've been trying to sell, actually, was brilliant in both of these games. He saved them again in the the second leg. Benfica uh, played an hour with uh 10 men after not just a defender but their best defender uh, Lucas Verissimo who I think will get a move to somewhere really big next year. Um he was he was sent off for a second booking and um uh, had some great moments. Um Aaron Jahavi missed a really really good chance um from close in but on the whole PSV didn't create as much as as they should have, especially for a team that's attacking as them. But you could see the looks on their faces at the end. And it, you know, I, I think it, it is something that's really hard to get over going out of the Champions League at the playoff stage, because it feels like your season has been flattened yeah. in August. You looked at the reaction of the Monaco players when they went out after extra time, they were quite unlucky to. Uh, 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 Shakhtar last night as well. And they're going to find it hard to mm. to get over, and PSV have had such a positive dynamic to their start to the season. They have thrashed Ajax four 0 in the in the Johan Shell, uh, uh, the um, Super Cup that's named after Johan Cruyff. And I, I think I think it is hard to to get over. For Benfica, it's an enormous boost. But it, I was left with the feeling. I've, I felt quite a sadness that both of them aren't in yeah, the group yeah. stage.
3: Yeah, completely. Uh, and again, you know, it's something that it comes back to something we've discussed in this show so much, not least today, in the, the lack of diversity in European football and kind of the, the almost the homogenisation of the Champions League in that regard. Um, and it, but, but the very the very fact that there are so few fixed places for those outside the very top leagues points at issue and why they're in this game in the first place and you're right actually in the sense that it's a curious dynamic as well to have a game that basically that defines your season that you're not ready for yeah that's exactly I mean these these are <laughs> sort of matches that should like given the stakes involved should actually be teams build up to a season the season pinnacle yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly. and yet you have it right at the start when you're, you're finding your feet it's not, it's only what four weeks well five, five or six weeks since the end of the Euros mm. you know it's, um, it's it's so odd in that regard
1: there is so much to talk about uh, as the beginning of the Champions League always. And uh, arguably the way that the league is now is a result of the days when just anybody could get into the group stages. And, and then Silvio Berlusconi came in and said, no, 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 let's make it the more important teams uh, being in the group stages. And that skewered the whole sort of European football Ethos quite a lot now that you have the situation where those old timers are not in the final stages, where sort of complaining, but they're not the main. There's, there's, there's a they're classic. Not, they're not the main thrust of European football. So, do we really want to see PSV Eindhoven and even Benfica in the Champions League? But,
3: but, but that, but that's precisely the issue, though, right? Okay, the, these these clubs, despite their great names, maybe aren't attractive to the casual football fan. Because they don't have the best talent, but that's because the best talent it can only be afforded by the absolute top clubs, who are are an increasingly narrow band. But football is football has almost consciously created this say this situation through every single rule that's been passed in the last thirty years, the lack of regulation, and it's almost it's almost like this kind of chicken and egg cycle where um, the, the the major Western European clubs they're already attractive be, be, because of the way. Uh, particularly prize money in the Champions League itself is funneled. They get more money, which means they have better players, which means they get more media interest, which means they get more money, which means they get better players, and everyone else is left behind. And and like and, and that's I mean there's, there's always the danger that we romanticise. I mean for me anyway, romanticising kind of what football or our life was like when we were in our teens. But it's impossible not to think that European football was better when and like this comes back to what we're saying about Milan and Arsenal being even being left behind saying the pursuit of someone like Ronaldo or Messi or whatever but that European football was better when more t- there was a better spread of money so basically more as you would call it unfashionable teams they, they couldn't just go far, but they can actually be exciting teams in their own right. I think, wow, like they used to be the glory about Europe, European football. Uh, a team you didn't necessarily know much about or wouldn't necessarily have much of a history. Take Nantes in the 90s, where you have a team, what, with Indoran, with mm. um, they, they, or, or And the, the classic example, Dynamo Kiev in 99. Yeah. Uh, that That's just impossible now. And, and these weren't just kind of like unfashionable sides doing well. They were like, they were exciting. This is like teams we admire and the way people look to. Uh, the super club is now.
2: This isn't really about mino clubs though. It's, yeah. it, it's about mino leagues. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the thing. The reduced status of the the Portuguese and and, and the Dutch league because, you know, we, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we, Miguel? The the, the fact that um, Mario Goetzer, who's mm. had a really good start to the season with PSV Eindhoven, looks like he could be on for a, a recall to the, the Germany squad. Jahavi was earning like an incredible amount in China. So they've, mm. they've they've paid him a bit to come back. There's there's no doubt about that. They even signed just the day after they went out of the Champions League to Benfica. PSV signed an extended contract with Noni Madueke, who's mm. been uh, linked with moves to Dortmund and various Premier League clubs, um having come through to um the, the, the Tottenham academy in the first place and I, you know, he's kind of a I guess junior Jadon Sancho in that in, in that Sense, I, I I sense he'll be back in the Premier League at some point and do very well. He had a great start to to this season. You look at Benfica; they spent eighty million on transfers last summer, not this summer because they they came third after spending eighty million yeah. on 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 transfers. So we're we're not talking about little clubs mm. or, or even really tiny budgets. We're, we're we're talking about the fact that those leagues have been whittled down and down. In importance and now even the biggest clubs in yeah. those leagues i mean benfica are a huge european name are in a situation where it's, it's really they hard work to, I, I mean i know there'll be celtic fans listening to this and rangers fans going we are hearing you yeah yeah here. but it's it's tough
3: well it is why i mean oh, uh, as, a, as a traditionalist in that sense i would always have been against kind of um the break the breakup of football's old structures, but I think it's why there has a, there has and for a long time now been such a solid argument for basically multinational quote domestic leagues in the sense of
2: Atlantic League, yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: because it, I mean and it, from just from a from a b- very a basic logistics, because I mean, this is what it ultimately comes down to it gives these these clubs and these countries, much greater TV, TV markets, which gives them much better money and creates more parity across European football. Suddenly, exactly. a Celtic or a Benfica or even clubs below them can be much bigger fish because they're in a bigger pond. Yeah, you say that, although the
1: Belgians and the Dutch didn't agree to come together as the Benilux League or whatever it was, did they? And uh, Could happen,
2: could happen. Do so, you reckon uh, it still yeah, could? Yeah,
3: okay. it's, on the t-
2: it's on the table. And, and, and it is, yeah. as Miguel says, because of TV rights and because of the time at which the domestic con- TV contracts in those two countries expire,
3: I, I, and even like UEFA would have been traditionally against such ideas, but I there is a, there is a realization at UEFA level, and this can be seen in the Champions League that as the com- like the pool of competitive clubs in the Champions League narrows, something needs to be done, and one and one of the one of the best, one well, most workable solutions is, is this.
1: There must be Celtic and Rangers fans thinking, yeah, bring on an English-Scottish league. We'll
3: wipe the floor with you. <laughs> well, I mean, Eng- England would always be resistant to that, just because, I mean, and, and this is the problem, that the Premier League now is so powerful, so 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 internationally powerful. not the rest, Yeah, it? yeah, that's the thing. I, I mean, I, I was thinking about this actually in relation to even how Ronaldo wants to go to pretty much exclusively an English club. The, the whole idea of kind of rise and fall league so we've seen it with you now Syria at the start of the, at the start of this century We're, we've seen we can see it in real time with Spain now mm. Will is it even possible for England to fall to the same factors it feels so fixed now as to kind of and especially what given what's happened with Covid and it feels so fixed at the global TV league and it's such a challenge for everyone else to kind of challenge that
2: It is
1: There, there is a, a tweet here from Jack who says not necessarily in your Uh, wheelhouse but can you explain what's happened to Basel over the last few years I know it's Barl or Basel whatever Uh, they've gone from perennial title winners to a distant
2: second at best to young boys how has this happened? Um, Mainly through uh, a change in ownership uh, which has led to a scale down of the sort of funding that they they had and um on the other hand young boys have taken that opportunity brilliantly you look at the distances by which they've won the swiss super league over the, over the last couple of years over a a couple of of different coaches um ali hutter who um went to frankfurt and now bruce you mentioned gladback started that off and he also embedded a, a very very exciting uh, attacking football there as 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 well um Look at Gerardo Celane, who's um, also made his way to the Bundesliga, He's just started to buy Leverkusen this season. They've started the the, the the campaign very promisingly. He carried that that good work on. And now David Wagner's there, of course, and he's got them back in the Champions League. And I think it does go back to Champions League money. Because especially in a league of that sort of level, if you're coining Champions League mm. group stage money, it gives you such an advantage. Not like young boys have gone out and done anything particularly lavish but in terms of holding on to players for an extra year or so and that was something if you go back five or six or even seven years or even even 15 actually when they were really doing well in 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 Europe that is something that Basel were, were able to do that you didn't expect them to do hold on to that Mo Salah for an extra mm. year or something, and that was that was an absolutely massive difference to them, or or, or Manuel Akanji, or, or or someone like that. Whereas now, young boys are, are, are maybe in the spot that that they can do that as well, although they have relied a little bit more on that sort of upper mid-range talent, that you know, horses for courses that can get you to a certain point. I mean, you look at Guillaume Wario, who's still in Swiss football, but. Is, is, is getting on a bit so 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 left for, for sign a while back he did some incredible stuff for, for young boys when he came back from China and um, someone like that who basically no one's going to come and buy but can help you get to a really good point and they've worked the market really well and they've had a solid philosophy of playing where at Basel there's been a lot of unrest behind the scenes obviously it's something that happens when you've had dynasty for a long time and it starts to fall apart to bring some calm to the situation is really really difficult i mean some people attacked the club offices last year uh a pig's head left outside it was was pretty nasty um so really they've just got to find a a a way to to try and bridge that gap but I, i think it might take a while especially with young boys attracting a coach like wagner and Making the group stage again.
3: Just, just on that, actually, uh almost tying everything together with today. It's probably never been a greater argument for even for one season, suspending Champions League prize money and using that as a solidarity fund for all of European football. I mean, because at a stroke, Imagine. at a stroke, you're actually mm. solving a lot of issues. Mm. Uh, I mean, not no, you're not actually. I mean, they're, they're still going to be there, but it 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 suddenly it softens a lot of challenges.
2: Unfortunately, though, the Champions League is a little bit like Gossip Girl. And like that the biggest pupils run the show. Yeah, yeah. So this is from Zagadone to tweet, uh,
1: which says, at Clermont Foot, uh, can they sustain this early season momentum and any interesting stories about their rise to Ligue and
2: Clermont. Um, well, they're having their first ever season in the top flight, which is fantastic. Really good start for them. Seven points from the first two games. They came back from 3-1 down in the last 10 minutes to get themselves... Uh, a, a draw at Lyon at uh, the, the, the weekend. So it's an incredible start for them. And considering they've never been in Ligue 1 before, it's, it's quite an effort. Um, they're well coached. What they've done well so far is, although I don't know if they're going to manage to keep him beyond the end of August. They kept the top scorer from last season. Um, uh, Mohamed Bio, who looked like he was going to uh, Bordeaux, didn't. Scored against Bordeaux in the opening game of the season, obviously. I mean, he's been carrying an injury, but he's still been playing very well in these these opening games. Three in the, three in the first two games and he could have had more with the sort of chance he's got. He is going to cause a lot of problems for some good teams that, that, this season. So if they can manage to hold on to him, that is a biggie. But, people are starting to take them seriously because what I like so much about them, we talked about um, the way that football has evolved in Italy, for example. What I've really enjoyed in the opening weeks of this Ligue 1 season is that smaller teams are not afraid to attack. You look at the way Trois and Strasbourg and Brest last weekend have had a go at PSG. They haven't won in the end, but you know, they've they've taken their free hit and had a had a proper good go at it. And and Clermont are doing exactly the same, and long may it continue.
1: Uh, one more tweet from Andrew, who asks, both of you, best kit in Europe this season so far? Fancy going first? Well,
3: um go? <laughs> You're complete I mean I, I just find myself I'm I'm going to completely ruin the question, but yeah, I just find right. myself Increasingly disappointed by um, all modern kits. Basically, look, you
2: can say, you can say Milan third if you like. No, <laughs> no one's going to judge you. Is, is, is that, you. that we one of will few, judge? Is you. that one of the
3: few moons? <laughs> yeah. Um, they're just. I mean, this is also a problem because I feel it comes from this whole obviously new thing where they change the kit every year, which means they're almost running out of designs. So they always have to do something differently. But I just. Like a plain kit, I like it. This
2: year's Ajax one is amazing. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, if you're talking about classic, mm. that's pretty good, isn't it?
3: Although I was apparently apparently one one reason they do these more elaborate designs is because uh, counterfeiters are getting so good. But again, even with that, like you, you can make a nice plain kit with a kind of nice woven design in. Like that, that's where the kind of difference. Rather than these kind of horrendous colours or or patterns, uh, I think most modern kits are shit.
2: <laughs> Although to- talking of you know, there is a, there is a place for a horrendous color designs. Oh, I mean, Leon fourth, I cannot confirm or deny whether I've got one of those to uh, play right. football in the, 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 this year. But um, the, one I really do like actually talking of tradition is they premiered it last season, the Dortmund fourth, which looks like the, 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 the ones they were wearing, the reverse ones are the, the ones they were wearing in the season that they won the champions league in 96, 97. I mean, retro is always good, right? It's even got blocky numbers. It's brilliant.
1: <laughs> and you can tweet us at any time uh, at Miguel Delaney, at Andy Brassel, at Dotton, at Ibaio, and at Football Ramble. I think we've just got time for you to recommend each a football uh, match of the week for us, game of the week, end at least.
3: Uh, I'll go with uh, Barcelona Getafe purely because I am quite, I, mean, I am fascinated just by how the kind of whole structural dynamic of how Barca continue to adapt to the post Messi world. I mean cuz I mean the first game is always a bit of a strange one because there's almost this adrenaline thing about it but it, it's I think it's more interesting the more it starts to settle and they kind of they realize they don't have potentially the greatest player in history, to bail them out.
2: Are you saying Memphis isn't the greatest player in history?
3: I mean... Say, <laughs> Again. Maybe outside the top 30.
2: I might <laughs> try and wedge this in every week. Um, <laughs> well, I know, speaking of what Miguel were, was on, we're, we're all going to be watching uh, Rans versus PSG on Sunday night for um, Messi's debut. I think that's that, that's pretty clear anyway, so I don't need to tell you to watch that or even to pour yourself a nice glass of champagne for it but um, I'm going to go Sunday afternoon 4.30 Wolfsburg versus RB Leipzig Um, difficult start for Wolfsburg under Mark van Bommel but um, they were pretty good last week at Hertha Berlin and uh, Lucas Emcher, who's um, come from um, Manchester City got the winner in that one uh, which was good for them they've also got a new striker in Luca Walshmit or they've bought from uh, Benfica and Leipzig well now that Dominic Chobisla is fit and ready to go. Scored two goals last week in his his first start against Stuttgart. Plus, Andre Silva got off the mark. I think there's goals in this.
1: This was a Stack Production
0: and part of the ACAST Creative Network.